0: Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. This Week in Photography is brought to you by Drobo. Find out how you can get your own Drobo at D-R-O-B-O.com slash TWIP. This week on the show, Sigma acquires Foveon, Digital Railroad goes off the rails, tons of questions from listeners like you, and, well red right here on this week in photography number 56 welcome to another episode of of what are we listening what are we recording here this week in photography Uh, this is alex and i thought i threw everybody a curve i didn't say hey everybody so let me say hey everybody (laughs) scott Bourne from gig harbor hey scott Hey man, how's it going? Good, and uh, uh, Steve Simon from New York.
1: Hey everybody. Hey Steve. Okay, do I owe you money now that I've said that?
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I'm, uh, that's actually uh, <laughs> it, it's it's paid on a on a monthly basis. Actually, so you won't, it won't be due for a little while. Uh, Ron Brinkman is uh, somewhere. Where, where are you, Ron? Yes. I'm in Seattle. Seattle, okay. Uh, yes. Ron is coming in from lovely Seattle. And uh, now, b- before the show, we before the show started, uh, uh, Scott, you mentioned that you uh, had shot your first movie with the D90. I did. What do you think?
2: Well, you know, I think we have to put it in context. I'm I'm sort of the anti Alex when it comes to video. You're, you know, you're there with a professor and a microscope and electron. Neutron things <laughs> looking for any sort of problem with the video. I'm just, you know, like, hey, cool, it shoots video. But uh, I, I think that shooting in manual focus is challenging. Um, and it gives you a lot of appreciation for what real cinematographers have to go through. This will not be the kind of camera that you just, you know, it won't be like the LX3. At The LX3, when I want to shoot video, I just point in a general direction and everything's good. With this camera, you have to actually, you know, think about your focus. And you can do those very cool rack focus things, though. It works very well. If it's on a tripod, it looks stupendous. Handheld, forget about it. Interesting. Yeah, on a tripod, it looks really good. You know, what
0: happens when you handheld it? Is it, is it because of the
2: uh, of the rolling shutter? You get the rolling shutter effect. So everything gets a little bendy. And it's kind of interesting
1: to look at straight up columns doing the twist. <laughs> <laughs> hey, are you going to uh, post that at some point? Is it a two day rental at Blockbuster? Is it uh, <laughs> coming to a theater near us? I I may post a
2: sample video, not the one that I made, because uh, you know, I was just really screwing around. But I I'm going to have a review. Uh, we're going to take this is in the show notes for the end of the show but we can mention it now next uh, week i'll have a review on twip of the d90 both as a still camera and as a convergence camera
0: fantastic uh, also just a quick r- reminder before we go any further that we do the linking contest we have a new linking contest moving forward uh, for twipphoto.com uh three of scott's 88 secret books uh one year of premium subscription to lynda.com and uh aperture photography is this, this the same part the aperture nature no, that's no, that's,
2: no, different. This, that's another contest so
0: those are those two contests are going on so if you want if you want access to that you're going to have to link to twipphoto.com
2: so if you want if you want to go on the aperture nature photography contest you have to enter a photograph for a chance to win $3,500 worth of prizes to you personally and you can do that through f64.com very, very good. And we don't, and we st- you know, we, we, but we do want to mention that the link contest prize winner from the last link contest has got his prize. So now we have new prizes and a new link contest. So, you know, if you didn't win last time, your links are still good.
0: Perfect. Uh, we're going to save the big the big news for the end here. Um, a, couple, a, couple things, uh, a couple things before we get to it. Uh, Sigma... Are we
2: actually going to answer any questions on this show, or are we just going to talk about you-know-what?
0: Uh, we'll, well, I
2: think we'll have a little time for a question or two. You know, it's, it's, uh,
0: they're, they're, you know so uh, let's go through the other news first. Uh, Sigma acquires Foveon. So Sigma's been using Foveon for a while, uh, you know, for a long time, actually. It seems like it, they just started using it, but I think it's been almost uh, six or eight years. Uh, and, uh, but they've now acquired them. and uh, Now, has anyone shot with a Foveon sensor? I have. What do you think of it?
2: Well, the one I shot with was the version one that was tethered to a giant supercomputer and was one megapixel and cost $50,000. So I don't think it's a fair <laughs> That in like 1971?
1: When, when no, was, it was that?
2: Actually, in 1996. Oh, you're good. Co- okay. It's something so, I'm, very, it, I'm very curious about. I just
0: haven't had, you know, no one sent me a, uh, a review copy. Hint, hint. Um, the pro- to, the uh, promise
1: yeah. of the Fovin has been around for such a long time, but you know, frankly, it, it just hasn't really penetrated the market the way you know many maybe thought it would uh, initially. So, I, it- go ahead.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't. I I wonder if that is because the the technology isn't just it just isn't that valuable. You know, you can just go with a higher resolution Bayer sensor and and munge it together, or is it because the the patents are so locked up on it that you know nobody uh, could afford to or was willing to try and do something similar and see if they could push push the technology well, I mean, conceptually. It makes a lot of sense, but. but in
2: practice, I mean, I I have used a Sigma camera with a Foveon chip in it and. You know, it's, there's just – I don't think there's a lot of uptake on this because, frankly, I don't think most people can tell the difference. Now, back in the day when Foveon first came out and they had that tethered camera and it was one megapixel, it blew away the one megapixel Kodak camera. But nowadays, with the advancement of sensors, I, I just don't see that it's made that big a difference. Now, I'm sure the Foveon addicts will start sending me hate mail, but
1: well, – I mean. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, if, you know, if, if Sigma, you know, likes the sensor so much they bought the company, and, and now, you know, owning the company, if they could sort of, you know, finesse it along the lines of what they want. I mean, you know, the DP1 that they came out with was a unique camera. It's what we were all asking for, you know, a big sensor and a little camera. It it It... Didn't quite live up the expectation, although, you know, they seem to be sticking with it and, uh, and are improving it. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens. I mean, Sigma is a company. They didn't have to do this. So so they must have some ideas for the future.
0: Well, and I also think that there was an issue with, uh, you know, I think that their messaging has always been hard because, you know, it doesn't have, they had, it, when they first started, they, would, they were using the, the same kind of pixel counting that everyone else did and so they were uh, or, or they they were using you know they so it looked like theirs were much lower resolution because uh it looked like they were a third um as much and and so uh, when they kind of changed that it, then it wasn't clear what was actually going on they they had to really have a lot of communication about the, the fact that there's three pixels stacked on each other and they're count- and that's why they're multiplying it by three and that's why your images look smaller when you get them and you know that that i think that that, that messaging has always been complicated for that processor So also in the news, uh, downloadable CS4 trials. So if you want to check it out, you can download uh, the extended version of CS4 for a fully functional 30 days. And hopefully, my only, uh, and I wish Fred was here, but my only hope is that the the trial software works better than CS3s, which basically required you to (laughs) reinstall everything if you wanted to actually buy it. (laughs) Does
1: does it take 30 days to download? Because it's a pretty robust...
0: You know, it depends on your... Depends on your connection. I'm, you know, I. Uh, I think it's about a gigabyte. I think you could probably do it overnight. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that typically a lot of these are about a gigabyte. So, um, of course, in in uh, in Japan where I will be in about a week, uh, it'll take
3: about 15 minutes. <laughs> even, even if it takes 30 days to download, the fact that it starts up in, in such a fraction of a time uh, compared to CS3 that uh, yeah. you'll make up for that time. of play.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a great great upgrade. So I uh, I definitely suggest people. Um, yeah kicking the tires on that one. It's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, also in the news, uh, digital railroads purchase falls through. So this is uh, a lot of professional photographers. Now, Steve, do you know anyone using digital railroad?
1: Um, you know, personally, uh, yes, there, there were some people. I haven't really talked about it to anybody, but I know that uh, this is a big disappointment. I think for a lot of people, um, the talk of the acquiring of digital radio, uh, radio, digital railroad was going to buy them more time but it looks as though uh, the, the time may be up. And, I, you know, it's, it's, just, it's a shame the way the whole thing, the speed at which it happened and, and the fact that, uh, you know, the customers really uh, were not given any kind of uh, ample warning. So they've really had to scramble to, to make sure that they've, uh, you know, got any kind of unique assets that they may have put up with, with digital railroads. So it's, it's a bit of a, a warning about a redundant backup, isn't it, guys? I mean, you always have to have your stuff in different places.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's the. I mean, I think I've seen some people who are just storing everything in the cloud, so to speak, and uh, this is uh, why you probably don't want to do that as the only way. Having it backed up to the cloud makes sense, but having that be the only place uh, that it exists is probably not. One of the better ideas. Um, Also, uh, market conditions, quote unquote, lead to a price jump for the 5D Mark II in Canada. Now we don't know if this is really going to affect the U.S., um, but uh, it appears that there's been a little bit of a a price increase in in, uh, Canon Canada.
1: You know, and that's that's I can tell you from a Canadian perspective. You know, there was a time. You know, the dollar, the Canadian dollar, has dropped. It plummeted is a better word it's you know in the 83 cents or whatever per you know compared to the american dollar so you know the the, the it, this had to happen i mean it just had to happen i think it was more of a currency thing right. than anything else
2: well over the summer uh, european currency the euro was so much stronger than the dollar that at the san francisco calumet store they were changing the prices once a week raising them because the currency rates were so bad
1: yeah, and it's, it's almost like playing the market because, you know, it, it, it would have been smart to get a Canadian, uh, you know, whatever camera um, if you were to transfer your American dollars to Canadian dollars and get, you know, and, and if they're when they were at the same price. But, you know, this sort of had to happen as far as I can tell just because of the currency.
2: Yeah. Well, Does 90% of the Canadian population live within a few miles of the U.S. border?
1: That, that is very true. That is very so true. You just take, drive across and buy the cheap one. We could just hop on our bikes and just get over there. And put it. Put the and camera we put, stuff in we our put basket. Put that wall up yet?
3: Don't we have that fence up <laughs> yeah, there? Exactly.
0: Well, see, I think I think there's, there's been a big there's been a discussion about whether that we should put the wall up or whether we should invade. You know, and, and no one. I think the reason there is not a wall there is because no one can make a decision. You know,
3: so, if we just expand yeah. our border north by an extra couple miles.
1: We'd get a whole lot of people. <laughs> yeah. a lot well, of I'll new taxpayers. Well, I tell you what, uh, you know, if, now with Obama at the helm, uh, okay, no politics. Sorry, all right. <laughs> <stop>. <laughs> so, so, help,
0: so also in the news, uh, Scott, you have an aperture book out.
2: Well, I, I not an aperture, but I printed, printed one of the aperture. How did how did that go? <laughs> it went really well. Um, mm-hmm. I was I tested, you know, with the two point one point whatever update we got a few weeks ago. I wanted to check the new printing functionality because that's what Apple said they had changed. So I. Printed a 32 page hardback book, and oh my gosh, is it so much better. Really? I can't believe it. I mean, I got one of the first Aperture books back in the day, and I, you know, I thought, well, if I was giving this to my grandma, I'd be fine, but there's not a chance in, you know what, that I'd sell it to anybody. But I can, you know, if I I was still a wedding photographer, let me tell you something this would streamline my workflow to the point that I'd be doing jumping jacks. And as a fat guy, that would be quite a sight to see. (laughs)
3: <laughs> and I mean, are the, are the prices uh, roughly the same still? Did they change pricing on any of this? Or the, I don't remember the pricing from the old days. The
2: pricing seems reasonable. I mean, it was 50 bucks roughly for a 32-page ba- hardback book with a dust cover and shipping and everything. So, I mean, you know, and I got it in eight days from the day I yeah. placed the order.
1: Yeah, I haven't tried it. Nice. I'm, I'm anxious to try it. I would heard that this new technology that they had gone to um, uh, it, it is exactly what you just described, uh, a night and day difference. So I'm kind of anxious to, to <laughs> oh, give it the, a go.
0: Is the new technology just that they're uploading larger files?
1: Well, no. I don't
2: know. I'm going to be speaking with Bleeding the guy heads. in charge of all of this at Apple on Monday. Okay. And I'm gonna ask him some of those questions. But I do know I have already spoken with Greg, uh who's the, the fellow in charge of the printing services out of Aperture and and actually for all printing services I guess at Apple. And he says the same quality is now available as iPhoto as well. Now the difference is that in Aperture you've got a lot more flexible layout options. But right. um the, the the thing that really blew me away was i didn't do anything special i just grabbed some images i laid them out in the book i didn't spend 20 minutes thinking about it and i hit the button and i got this beautiful book back and for people that want to do short run stuff i mean you can save a lot of money for instance if you go from the hardback to the softback that would have knocked the cost down uh, you know significantly and Um, and, and this is
0: uh, if you're you know as you're getting ready for uh uh, Christmas. This is just a great way to. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I know. I'm I'm not ruining anything because I know that my uh, my parents and my parents-in-law and my grandmother don't listen to the show. But there you what? Go. They don't. They don't. They don't care. They don't
2: care. It's fine. Oh, I'm well, not gonna cry. if you want, to I'm do not a gonna try as hard anymore. Yeah, exactly if, you, exactly. if you want to do a portfolio, here's a great yeah. way to do a portfolio. And how impressive is it to hand somebody your just a book, a real book? <laughs> well, the reality is, if you do enough
0: design on the front and the back, they'll think it's a real book. Yeah. You know, so, no,
1: the, I, uh, it, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, portfolios, yeah, I mean, that is the way to go. I mean, I'm encouraging, you know, students that I come in contact with. It's just a great way to show off your stuff. And it's also, you know, motivator to kind of get yourself organized and, and really sort of squeeze out the best of what you've got and put something together. I think it's a great idea for, for any Twip listener out there to sort of take stock of what they've got and, you know, do a book. You know, Scott, if,
0: if someone decides that they really like this this book, is it possible to… Have have it like really uh printed out i mean sent to a uh, somewhere to have it really
2: reproduced now here's the cool thing all that's happening here is a pdf is being created and that's what's being printed from right. and you have the option in aperture to save it as a pdf to your desktop Perfect. and you just hand that file to any commercial printer and what most people don't realize is that you know 99 of the books that you see at barnes and noble or at borders are pdfs Yeah, 99.9 yeah, yeah I mean they all yeah. start as PDFs nowadays. Yeah. So uh, all my last three books were all laid out you know, in, in uh, Illustrator and, and InDesign and created in PDFs and sent to the printer. So uh, yeah, you get a PDF that you can print from, no problemo. And you yeah. can make your own prints, by the way. You can do your own book if you wanted. But I have to say that the convenience of just clicking buy book and then eight days later having the guy hand it to you, and by the way, a very nice presentation box. Um, that, that, that's pretty slick.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's that's my. Uh, it's become my my yearly gift now. Is just uh, taking uh, yeah because I take so many pictures of my son uh, is just to <laughs> stack those all into a, a book.
2: Well, I'm I'm going to start. I have some patrons that collect my work. I'm going to start doing limited edition series of ten or a hundred books. Right on right. certain subjects and sell them. And I, I, I plan to be a pretty significant customer uh, of this particular product. The hardback in particular, I was very impressed with the dust cover quality. I mean, you know, I'm a guy who's gone to China to check the blue lines on the CMYK conversions for some of his books. I'm usually pretty picky, but, man, just right out of the box, I was impressed. That's awesome.
0: Fantastic. Well, definitely something we should... Uh, I'm going to do some more research in. <laughs> um, uh, here's the big announcement, of course, uh, this week, is uh, Red. Red has gone crazy. They've lost their mind. Red rum. They've gone rogue. <laughs> they have gone off the reservation. You know, talking about sticking outside the box, I think that they, they, they can't find the box anymore. Uh, it, it is It is gone. It is history. So... Uh, we're talking about uh, a range of price between um, about $2,500 and $55,000 uh, and a range of resolution of 3K to 28K. Isn't it higher than that? Oh, no, that's, t- that's 261 okay. megapixels.
1: Ooh, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 so the, the estimation, I think Stu Mashowitz has it on ProLost.com. Uh, I think his estimation was approximately a 700 meg file per frame.
1: Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Big. But
3: it's it's the it's the old uh, six one seven format pan. Uh, what are you? What did you call it? The this giant panoramic.
0: Yeah. It's it's. Uh, yeah. Because they what they're. I mean, what you're seeing is basically. I mean, truly a direct assault on not just video, but um, but video and uh, and stills. I mean, we're. I don't know. You know. And, and the thing is, is a lot, when you look at it, you just go, they can't do this. Like as soon as I, you know, as soon as you look at it, you're just like, I don't, you know, uh, there's no way that they're actually going to be able to uh, pull this off. You know, these, these, this is outside of reality. And uh, the only reason that, that I look at it and go, well, I think they might be able to pull it off is because they've already done it once. You know, when they, when they, when they brought the red one out, we were like, oh, that's nuts. You know, and uh, um, but it's truly uh, when you look at the, the process, it's an entirely different approach to photography and to video.
3: I'm, I'm I just sorry, to say I, I, just, just to kind of pull it back to reality a bit, but go, go ahead, Scott, say that first.
2: I, I want to pull it back to reality. I just want to point out that this thing isn't shipping yet. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Also, well, the only thing I'll say is
0: that, is that that that's, that's, what, that's what we all said when the red came out.
2: <laughs> <But> I <laughs> want to quote you. I want to quote you from their website. Dates, it says, prices, specifications, and delivery dates are subject to drastic changes. This is a quote. Count on yeah. it, and you won't be disappointed. That's right on their yeah. website. So, yeah. what we're talking about now may have it's about like seeing a concept car at the auto show and expecting that when you buy it three years from now, it's going to look just the same.
0: And, and now, I take
1: I, from that thought like that you know these drastic changes are going to be even better than what we're announcing. I mean, and it could sounds, be, it could be and traditionally and, I,
0: and traditionally with these guys, that's generally the direction it's gone. It hasn't gone down. What it has done is become delayed and uh, better. I mean, that tends tends to be with the direction. Well, I, think, that they I go. think
2: the takeaway here is. Put it in the context that excites me is conceptually this is the right track. Whether or not Red is the company that delivers it, I don't care. What yeah, I care
3: about yeah, is I mean, does yeah, everybody don't see anything. this? yeah it pushes it pushes the rest of the industry to at least take notice i i just love the fact that it's you know this concept of a modular upgradable fairly open system you know i mean we we've talked about it on the show before having something where you can get in and 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 have a lot more customizability in the same way you kind of can with a pc i mean these these cameras are effectively computers so give me the kind of modularity that i can get with that yeah. i do think that the um, you know for the still photographer i'm not convinced that there's anything in this lineup for your average to high even high end still photographer um, i mean you got to get pretty high end before some of this becomes interesting you know the but minimum you, price
2: if, if you're a medium format shooter you're you're uh, going to be yeah. interested in this so, Alex, you were at the announcement, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, so I was uh, down in LA for a couple other meetings, and and uh, but was able to carve out the time to go uh, go check it out. And Wait, uh,
2: carve out the time, <laughs> a couple other meetings. Yeah, so well, I actually moved. I moved, I moved other meetings. On, yes, you went to see the red announcement.
0: I had I had a couple other things, but they were in the middle of where that meeting was. So I had to rearrange basically the entire LA day <laughs> to uh, to 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 show up. So the uh, so I did make make some special movements to make that all work, and it was worth it. It was. You know, I think the big reason that I that I chose to to be there was uh, actually because I um uh I, I just wanted to get my head around what their thinking was. You know, that I just wanted to know like really where are they you know going you know going with this and uh and I, and I got a, I, I feel like I got a pretty good sense of it and and it's it's uh it's pretty you know it's it's a pretty interesting uh approach you know really looking at this idea that you know they're not you're always going to be up able to upgrade every component and that obviously has some disadvantages the disadvantage of being when it's all modular it means everything's kind of clumped together we have that when we uh, when we finish shooting with the red right now we have a red in the office it's um pixel members, uh, red that we're using in the office here and when we get done with the shoot there's about a 15 or 20 minute breakdown of the of the camera we pull it all back into its individual pieces put it in a box the next day we build it all back up again uh, because it's very modular with the with our uh, 950 we just put it in a bag and so <laughs> what up, and we would probably do that with the with the red. But you kind of keep on, you, you know. It's very very modular. It doesn't all. It's not as compact. Uh, there's some ergonomic challenges, so on and so forth. Um, when when everything has to be added on. That said, uh, you know you can. What you're looking at is a camera that you can not just configure for the way you like to shoot, but you can configure for the way you like to shoot today. You know, you know, you know. That's the you know. Like today, I'm going to go shoot stills, and so I can set up my camera as skills, stills. Uh, tomorrow I want to go shoot uh, a movie and I can change the way the camera's uh, set up. And I think that's a pretty exciting uh, progress.
2: Hmm. Yeah, well, whether or not they actually deliver on it, whether or not it works, whether or not it comes out what we think it will, I'm a fan and I hope it does work. I just want to make that clear. I'm rooting for them. I got my check ready. I'd buy one today if it worked.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh, it it is a... um, uh, you know, we, we do have to kind of hold judgment until we see what actually happens here. But, but I think that, you know, if, if they have something come out and it remotely is as good, you know, if it's half as good as what they're showing here, uh, you know, I think that, you know, it puts an incredible amount of pressure on, on Canon and Nikon and Sony to, uh. I don't even know what they do. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know how they react to that. Um, that's the, um, you know, that's the thing that I, uh, is, I think is going to be interesting. Yeah. I just don't know if they have a model in their head for, mm-hmm. you know, how they would, um, you know, make that work. <laughs>
1: There is talk in the pipeline, uh, you hear rumors that Nikon is, is maybe going to introduce some sort of medium format competitor. So, you know, if that and, and we'll probably hear about that in the next, you know, couple of months, I would think if it comes to pass. So, so that would be interesting if, if that happens. That'd be a, a real big departure for for, you know, a, a traditionally 35mm uh, type company.
2: Yeah. Well, someone who was old enough to remember that Turbo Pascal was going to be released any day for the Amiga. I'm just going to wait and see.
0: What's
1: he talking about?
0: (laughs) And as I said, I I think that for me, the the thing is, is that, uh, you know, we got to a point on Twim, you know, we we were talking about the red too much and we decided we just weren't going to talk about it until something was released. And and I, I just was really not sure if they were ever going to come out with something because we've seen other film cameras, um, uh, you know, be announced and then not actually show up these high-end crazy cameras. Uh, yeah. And the only reason that, I, that I'm more excited about this announcement than I was the first announcement was because I've actually, you know, seen them uh, implement one. And so, uh, so anyway, these, uh, you know, they, they're saying that, that the, the, the new chip will also, hand, you know, give you a latitude of 13 stops.
3: Yeah, so. that's that's very interesting. In fact, you know, because that's traditionally been one of the issues with RED is it still doesn't have the dynamic range of some of the higher-end uh, pro-camera, pro-film cameras. So we'll see. I mean, you yeah. know.
1: I mean, are, I at
0: 120
2: are, frames a second, I could probably get some pretty decent wildlife shots.
0: Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. You're going out with the same camera. You're going out with the same camera that you're going to shoot these wildlife shots. When, when I think of that, of that 28,000 pixel by 9,000 9, pixels, all I can think about is being on safari in
2: Africa with that. Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness. You just well, sort of point in any direction. In yeah. Time, to, and
3: then you work <laughs> later, right? Later.
1: Where, where does the sensor come from? Are they making the sensor themselves? Yeah, they make out their that? Own. Ah, oh, okay, gotcha.
3: Okay, and they call them their mysterium sensors, and it's always been a little bit uh, unknown where exactly you know the, the well, expertise see, and, and, or anything and, came from. But I, I
2: and think else. That's the one thing about this company. I'm sorry. I realize it's a marketing approach, but it just bugs me. You know, it's just, everything's real, exclusive, and secret, and yada yada. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it wears me out. Just give yeah, me
3: would, the damn camera, but, and I'll and, let you. check. You know, I would yeah. never. I
0: would never do that. I would. Uh, I would never buy a computer from a company like that.
3: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you put up with exactly the same stuff from Apple. Half the time. No, actually, actually, I'd think Apple's. You know, you you
2: you wouldn't say that, Ron. I mean, technically, because you know exactly where the chi- the chips come from in every Apple.
3: <laughs> yeah, computer. That, that's true for some of our, But they, they still there is a lot of similarity between the uh, the marketing approach and the uh, you know whipping the fanboys into a froth kind of oh, thing. I, I agree, and I don't I don't actually like it either when Apple does it, but I
2: do think that. They've really got the whole iPhone-like hype going around this thing. Now yeah. they got it. You keep in mind, Apple delivered the iPhone, and it's like the best-selling cell phone in history. They delivered on the hype.
0: Well, they, they you know, the the in defense of Red, there, you know, they they have they sell every camera they can make.
2: You know, well, they, you I, know, I they, understand. I understand, you but know, it's, it's you know it's the it's, same it's, marketing strategy that Harley Davidson uses. They underproduce so that they can say they sell out every year. And
0: well, I mean, they you know to put it in perspective, Sony sold uh, about 150 of the 950s that I you know of 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 the one that I own here. Uh, and red has sold I think four thousand reds, so i mean it 's you know at that at that level of production it 's unusual to sell numbers uh, at the i don 't think they 've delivered four thousand yet i think they 've delivered well, seventeen hundred keep, keep
2: there should be no, there should be no confusion between my skepticism and my desire to see it work i 'm skeptical yeah. but i 'm
1: hoping well, here 's the
0: question here 's the question that I have is that if let 's just say if they uh, are able to implement what they have on paper it 's just this is the minimum uh, is, is this really the, the end of film as we know it?
2: I think we hit the end of film as we know it when they started shipping D3s at Nikon.
0: Right. But, and, so, and, and I guess this is, this is more of a This Week in Media question. But when you look at, you know, we, we've had a lot of people, uh, you know, talk about, you know, they're still, they're still making film. But, I mean, it, it gets to a point where, where the resolution is so much higher than any kind of film
2: that's out there. Well, um, have you seen the film booth at, at PMA last year? Did you notice it? <laughs> No, I didn't. Like, okay, in Is the old days, there would, be, there would be thousands of square feet devoted in each big company's booth to the film they sold, right? Like, Kodak would have 2,000 square feet devoted to nothing but all the new films. Now, there's like a little waste-basket-sized pedestal <laughs> a guy named Ernie over there selling film.
1: I mean, film is, is definitely, probably, always going to be around to some extent. People will be making their own. It's going to be an art uh, kind of, right. you know, it's going choice. To be an art project.
0: I, I think film. I think we're getting very, we're very fast approaching a time when it's just an art project. Yeah.
1: I mean, is yeah, there? I, there's I only there's there... only one uh, paper maker of darkroom paper, I understand, in China left. Is right. that correct? So, yeah,
3: I mean, are, are, are you asking, you know, is, is it killing film across the spectrum, including into feature film motion picture production? I mean, I'm not convinced it's doing that yet, simply because of the. Uh, The practicalities of shooting I I actually asked David Fincher The guy who directed Seven and uh, Fight Club And lots of great movies And uh, I I caught up with him on set For one of his movies he was shooting digital I asked him, you know, are you never going to shoot film again? And his his point was, you know, there's still a place for film If you're up on the top of the Himalayas uh, You know, the, the... the process of shooting film is so well known And there's not a lot of extra support stuff You need to carry around And you know, there may still be reasons for doing it So, But we're very close clearly Where there's, there's not the practicalities Are what's going to take it over It's not just the quality and the sensor size And all that kind of stuff It's you know what's all the support structure around it
1: yeah, you won't have you won't have a choice. I know a lot of photographers who are well-known photographers who are basically going to finish out their careers, you know, as it started, you know, using film. It's work for them. They know what they're doing. They can still get it, but you know, twenty years from now, uh, I mean, is is this the end of film? I mean, film is uh, is pretty well dead already, but uh, it'll it'll be around a little bit longer, I think. As I was trying to
2: shoot a little bit of film last year on my X-Pan, and I got to say the whole experience became so frustrating compared to shooting digital that I it gave really up. Is, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. get into
0: this thing where I just feel like uh we're we're working uh, uh, there's a film being shot uh, in in Minneapolis that we're working on uh, next uh, next week with Eric, you know, uh, our uh, a uh, friend. Uh, oh, Eric how? Yeah, Eric's shooting a film film that we're working on and so he's shooting in Minneapolis and uh and um, uh, he's shooting on film and <laughs> every time i talk about it i go well you can just look at the scopes and then i realize no he can't look at the scopes and i'm like oh my gosh we're shooting <laughs> blind we have no idea what's going to come out the other end of that camera you know it's just it's you're i'm so used to uh, of getting that instant feedback that it just it film frightens me at this point you know
1: yeah one one last word on that alex you know where i teach you know all these new young photography students are coming in and they all want to shoot film and and it's kind of <laughs> they ironic want to make
2: everything hard because it's they, hard
1: they do and it's Frustrating for me as an educator because, you know, the the learning curve with digital, if we talk about photography being more about the content and these these new to photography for the same reasons that we became hypnotized by the, you know, the the picture come up in the developer tray. I mean, all those things are still existing, but the reality is, uh, you know. Yeah, but you know
2: what? I never had any desire to go shoot on glass plates, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, it, I, it might have been really cool to be able to say, "Yeah, I'm shooting on glass plates," but, uh, but I had that
1: first uh, mishap with flash
3: powder. That, sorry our guest last week said he was going out and shooting glass well, plates. Well, and Andy's be, a right? unique—he's a unique guy. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. I just can't imagine
2: wanting to do it harder when you can do it easier and you get better quality. I mean, looking at images, I made an image at Palouse Falls here in eastern Washington a couple of months ago that I've been trying to make for 12 years. And I was able to do it strictly because of HDR and tone mapping. Just, you know, couldn't do it in film. Couldn't be
0: done. You used HDR and tone mapping? I did. I just want to point, I I think we need to rewind back to... uh, we need to rewind back to an early twip when, when I'm sitting there talking about the HDR and tone mapping and you're just like, Alex and his crazy ideas. <laughs> you convinced me.
2: <laughs> I listen to you. You're my bubba.
3: <laughs>
2: that's great. Oh, that's fantastic. But I mean, and actually my, my disdain was for those crazy HDRs that don't look anything like real life. It was right. I was able to make a photograph in one of the most harshly lit areas of the state. It's, it's harshly lit at all times. There's no good light ever. Right. And I was able to make a photograph that looked like what my native eye could see. Okay, because well, of and tone mapping, I could not have done it on film. I'm convinced that no series of multiple exposures, wet darkroom techniques. I spent 18 years in a wet darkroom. I know how it works. i convinced I could not make this photograph anyway
1: other than that. And speaking of the future here today, where did the holography go? I remember years ago, we were going to see 3D images. I don't know if you saw during the election, CNN had a reporter yeah. on. She was like a hologram or something. It was kind of weird. Yeah. But I mean, you know, do you think? And I noticed that part of the red thing there was some sort of a three D thing well, mentioned. This, as yeah, well. this
0: is so modular. And go ahead, go ahead, Ron. You can.
3: Yeah, well, there there is a configuration. This was this is there, there. one more thing than kind of Steve Jobs that they did at the end is they showed a configuration that had two of the. The red camera's uh, sort of stuck together side by side to give you a stereo shooting rig and that 's only sensible i mean you 're seeing a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff come out in the in the film industry. It is a good question of You know, at some point, the film industry is going to be producing lots of stereo films, which means that at some point, people are going to be getting stereo projection tools inside of their home, you know, special TVs that can do it or some sort of configuration. And at that point, are people going to start shooting stills in stereo because they have a method of viewing them? It's entirely possible.
0: Well, the, and I think that that's one of the exciting things about the red modularity is the ability to, you know, configure it any way you want. I mean, you could stack four of them next to each other or, or you know, whatever you want. Uh, you can put that together. The one question I have is I know that tuning the distance between the lenses is pretty important. And I don't know whether while the ster- when I saw that stereo version, I was not sure whether they're. You know, they, they re- it's really important to keep those lenses, um, right?
3: You, yeah, you want to keep the interocular, the, you know, the equivalent to what the human eye has. So you know that that same approximate distance. And given the setup for the the smaller red cameras, there is enough. They're small enough that you can put them, you know, mashed together side by side and get a decent interocular distance. So yeah, it's reasonable. I, I'm not sure, but I just have this sinking feeling
2: in my heart that we're going to hear the word node pretty soon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah you're going to have to put those on a node and then you're going to have to node them you know and and, and when you when you inter-node the internocular you know it, <laughs> it becomes very nodal
2: so, uh, so vocabulary on this show is you know we're 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 practicing at twelfth grade level, boys and girls.
1: <laughs>
2: so, I'm so, going to take a wild guess that no other podcast produced anywhere on the planet this week has the word interocular in it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ocular is just
3: eye, and it's just the distance between your eyes. It's all, all there. It there we go. <laughs>
1: yeah, I have a little more distance between my eyes than maybe <laughs> you guys.
2: <laughs> well, as this conversation goes on, the distance. Is my eyes is growing as we speak <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now that we've now we've gone to the future we're going to go to the past and uh, this was a site of the week hiroshima lost photographs and, and this is uh, ron you picked this right
3: uh, actually, oh, our producer it. Aaron picked it. Oh, Aaron picked uh, it, okay. He, he sent it over to all of us. It's a great story. It's um, We'll put the link on the show notes, but it's basically, I mean, I, lo- I love this kind of story because the story around it is, you know, some guy is wandering around in this neighborhood and he, he sees a pile of trash that was out for pickup, and there's this old beat-up suitcase there, uh, and he's like, well, that's kind of interesting, and he just happens to poke around a little bit, and... uh. uh Opens it up and, and it's full of photographs so he takes it home and starts going through it and these are photographs that were taken within a, a few days or maybe a few weeks uh, immediately after the bomb had been dropped on Hiroshima and it's you know photographers walking around this destroyed city taking photos of what the effects of an atomic bomb are and so this thing set in somebody's basement and then uh, you know got passed around and there's a whole story of where the uh, the guy eventually Kind of track down what had happened and who had done this and realized that it was, you know, who had made it and then they tracked it down to a photographer who, whose assignment, there was a group of photographers, their assignment was to go into Hiroshima after the bomb had been dropped and just documented what an atomic blast will do to a city and all the, and there's all these great details of, yeah. you know, twisted metal. You know staircases inside of buildings and flattened stuff, and it's just—I mean, it's—it's it's, you know it's one of those things. It's just sort of horrifying, but fascinating, and just a great I, piece of history. I looked at the pictures, and I'm old enough that back in the day when I was in grade
2: school, we used to have to have these drills because you know we were going to get yeah. attacked by the commies any day, so we'd have to do duck these things: cover. duck and cover duck and cover when the bomb comes duck and cover and uh, i'm thinking now looking at these pictures wouldn't have done any good yeah <laughs> not yeah. so much <laughs> <laughs> that, de-
3: that desk you were hiding under yeah, yeah. say goodbye yeah, but, yeah that,
2: that, so uh, it's, that,
3: that little ten
2: dollar wooden desk that they gave us in third grade not gonna help
3: yeah yeah but yeah. so we'll put the link up to this uh this uh, particular you know document of of the story behind it is I, I love the story just generally of finding this old stuff and and uh, tre- found treasure but the this historical significance and the, the photographic
1: significance is really pretty right. impressive it 's another testament to the resonance of photography and the importance and power of photography and how with time, you know, it becomes even more powerful and more precious. I mean, it, it, it's really astonishing it, to look at this. And stuff.
3: these things, you know, they make the point that this, this information was embargoed for a while. So that's the reason why it sort of just got tucked away is that they, it, there, was, there were laws against showing a lot of this stuff uh, right after the fact. Yeah, well, and I, I, think I think
2: everybody that's a serious photographer needs to recognize that probably not in your lifetime, but someday after you're gone. The work you do with your camera could be very significant. I take a lot of wildlife photos. There's every reason to believe that some of the species I'm photographing will be extinct in the generation that follows me. So yeah. you know, you never yeah. know how important this work's gonna be to the future. Well I think, think also I had, go ahead, Alex. Sorry. I,
0: I think also there's a there is a uh an impact of, of how photography has changed the way we look at at things like war, for instance, uh, because, of course, one of the reasons they didn't want anyone to see these is so that we wouldn't think about what happened. <laughs> you, know, you know, like, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, the, and, and I think that that changes the way we, you know, think of, uh, I, I, it definitely changed the course of Vietnam, it changes the way we think of Iraq, it changes the way, all of that stuff, because we see this stuff ongoingly, you know, in our face, and, and the public makes, uh, makes decisions, uh, whether they're good or bad, uh, very quickly based on, um, based on that information. And, and I think that's an important part of both photo, photo and video.
1: Another, another lesson that I take from this is you know a picture may be worth a thousand words but if you have a few words to go with each picture it completely yeah. uh, magnifies you know the experience of looking at these images you know how many times have you seen these amazing old photographs but they're not labeled we don't know what it is who they are and in, in, in essence they they just lose their their value their interest because you can't really tell what it is so I think if, if you have good information with your work particularly over time it, it makes a huge huge difference to the viewer when they get to see and understand exactly what specifically they're looking at
0: great and we'll have uh, links to the show notes of course uh so check it out at twipphoto.com. uh we've got a photo assignment the current photo assignment is ongoing straight lines uh, so uh, anything with straight lines or anything that that fulfills that assignment to- topic, we've got a uh, seventy-three or se- we just broke 7,000 um, 7, members in the Flickr discussion group. And uh, but now this assignment topic is in photo uh, trade. Is that correct, Scott?
2: No, actually, it's on Flickr. We're back on Flickr, We're back on and Flickr. we okay. have we have the uh, special photo assignment form there. And lots of people are putting in images for this particular assignment. And I gotta say. Maybe the best images for any of our photo assignments yet. Wow! And we're giving away a copy of Photoshop CS4 to this month's winner. So there's there's some at stake here. That's like a six hundred seven hundred dollar program. Yeah, and wow. not away we're not giving away a bootleg copy. We're giving away the real deal. <laughs> Scott, Scott
0: just went in and said copy disc.
2: And so no no no, oh, no. It's coming this in a box. A, this is in a shrink wrap box provided by our very own Fred Johnson. Thanks, Fred. And, and that's uh, the prize. Yeah, so Wanna that's a big prize. Co-
0: if, if you're going to play one, you, you, should, you should get out there, start shooting some pictures of some straight lines, even uh, some crooked lines. Some crooked, crooked, lines. crooked straight. lines will work, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, definitely check that out. Uh, also, with last poll results, we asked, uh, do uh, you visit ex- exhibitions at museums and or galleries? 16% said whenever possible. 60.2% said not as much as I'd like. And 23.8% said never. Never.
2: Hmm. And this is a problem. This is a problem, Steve. Fool. Steve, I know you'll back me up on this. You got to get out and look at photography if you want to get better.
1: Absolutely. And I, I was just looking at that, going, you know, those twenty three point eight percent. You kind of want to talk to them and find out. And granted, they only have three choices, but you know, let's hope that uh, they, you know, maybe it's never, but it doesn't have to be never. You know, forever. So let's hope that they. Uh, do you Do you guys know at all what I'm talking about? I'm, yeah, I'm no, not just making yeah, sense of, it. to myself. No, we are worried. We're worried about he, I, I yeah, that. I think there's
0: mean. interventions that might be required for thousands of people now. Thousands of listeners.
3: And uh, if you haven't gone to a gallery, I think you don't realize the power of a photo reproduced large. You know, you yeah. can say, "Oh, I've got all these big books, and I look through them." But you know, if you see that exact same photo. Printed large and, you know, high quality reproduction. It's, uh, it's a different experience.
1: Yeah, it could be like sort of going to a, a Bruce Springsteen concert and sitting, you know, a thousand feet away or having front row seats. It's a completely different experience. It can and that's be. going to be
2: different from the CD no matter where you sit. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so definitely get out there. Get out there for that 23.8%. We've got a new poll. Have you ever purchased another photographer's work? work uh, uh, yes for commercial reasons yes for myself or no i think i've i think i've done all of all well i've done the first two oh, no <laughs> <laughs> you've done yes and no that really wouldn't work um, yeah so the uh, uh
2: but um yeah that's yeah alex we're, we're still wondering what your answer to the question we asked a few months ago what sex are you is because i know that's sort of you, know, you, you okay. were you I were just, were just it, it was only male or female there was no third choice <laughs> oh <No. laughs>
0: you know when I, I when i was uh i had this crazy idea when i was in uh, this is a rat hole i'm um, just warning everybody here for a second but when i was uh, when i worked for sony music i was a marketing rep for the for region and uh, i dealt with co- college music uh marketing and uh these uh we would. I, I. had this crazy idea that we could build a mailing list. This is in the early '90s when there wasn't a lot of direct mail and anything. But I was like, we could build a mailing list. And so, you know, I, I've got CDs of Alice and Chains coming out my ears. So I'll just give those away if you'll give me uh, your information. And it was amazing back then when no one asked this. What people would write down, and um, you know, you. I mean, you'd, you'd ask all kinds of stuff, and but the, the most uh, frequent at a at a concert, the most frequent answer to uh, uh, sex. You know, it was it was. You'd think it would be male or female. It was often. Yes, <laughs> exactly. No surprise there. Yeah. So, anyway. anyway, that was. Uh, that's
1: what I'm sorry, right. sorry about that. Little little uh,
0: little sidetrack there. So uh, now, ready for the questions.
2: We, we promised there'd be some to questions. One or two questions.
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, so anyway, so we uh, uh, got a couple questions here. First question is uh, curious about laser matte screens. And uh, why they aren't on DSLRs. So this is William, and he said a friend of mine decided to buy an AE one recently and noticed that it has something called a laser mat screen. And I'm 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 sure you know how it helps manual focusing. Uh, Why isn't something like that on the current DSLRs? So
2: why is it, guys? A, because most of them are autofocus and you don't need that. B. They are actually are some interchangeable screens available for some of the cameras. So there there may indeed be a laser mat screen available for some of the DSLRs. I know that Canon, some of the Canon cameras do have interchangeable uh, screens, and um, but I think mostly it's just not there because you don't need them.
1: I've always thought people that you know change their screens have too much free time. You know I've I've never <laughs> changed the screen in my life. There's so many other things that I have to do. That, but, but I, you know, I, I in think the, they're, in the old they're there days, for reason, like to, macro and such. And yeah, in that. the old
2: days, you would want to change them because some of them, Steve, were really bad.
1: Oh, fair enough. I remember the bright screens that when they. Came yeah, out, I used to use the bright screens in my house. Huge. Yeah, not, not huge so, You don't see those anymore. No, I guess. Well, be, once
2: again, you don't need them because everybody's got yeah. big bright screens. That's true. Yeah, That's I, true. I, I think that uh, I. Um, a lot of times,
0: there there have been times, especially when in low light, that I really wish I had those screens because it's the, the problem is is that if you're not uh, if you're not focusing with a um, uh, when, when you're when you're dealing with the uh, when you can't the autofocus doesn't work, you're you're kind of screwed. Because there's, you can't really see whether it's in focus or not. You can do the best shoot you can everything at f
2: thirty two. Then yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So
0: yeah, so but I, you know, I I really um, like to be able to have the option of doing manual. And uh, I've been thinking that there is a, a couple third party uh, companies that will that actually make these um, focus focus screens. Um, and you can actually attach them to your mirror. Now I haven't. I'm planning to do this um, soon. Uh, for for my uh, my twenty D mostly because for me the twenty D is near end of life, <laughs> so it's not something I'm going to recommend. But we'll put it. We'll, I'm sure we'll make a movie of it if it, if it actually works. But the idea is that you can actually attach these because where where these sit is on your mirror, and so um, you can attach these to the mirror and you can uh, and uh, there are some third parties and maybe Aaron can put uh, some of these in, into the show notes. I I don't have any right in front of me um, as far as.
2: Uh, um, uh, who makes? Them, we can just ask people to research that for us and put them in the comment section if they know of any. Yeah. So did, did um, any
1: did anyone own an ae one back in the day? Because that was that was a pretty breakthrough camera, I recall.
2: Yeah, I owned one a long time ago.
0: I still had my K1000 at the time. Uh, I, actually, I, sh-
1: I switched, I with that I switched time. from my uh, my my first 4A into Nikon at that time. Uh. Yeah. So, I was always an icon guy, but uh, I remember the AE1. I remember when the Olympus OM system came out and just how revolutionary that was. Yet, it was yeah. very popular in Europe, but in North America, the small camera never really caught on for whatever reason. Yeah.
0: Next question here is uh, J-
1: Just reminiscing. Yes, just yes, back in the day. I- remember that <laughs> the uh
0: uh this is from uh joao uh Bustelin, and uh, he said hi there guys and he goes as uh um, he is, he's a landscape, a landscape nighttime photographer, mostly, but I've been hired to do a wedding seven days from now. Oh, I hope we uh, actually answer this on time. Uh, it'll be my first. So I need some help. I mean, and so he's, uh, he said the bride to be told me the ceremony will be held at her house. So indoors, and there'll be no more than 35 guests. Uh, she won't be wearing a wedding dress. Uh, I have some ideas on paper, but he, he's he's looking for advice. Some uh, aperture, ISO. Uh, he's shooting with a with a 5D. He's got uh, two zoom primes. Uh, so, what what kind of uh, advice would you give him, Scott?
1: Yeah, let's let's hope the bride's not a TWIP listener, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's like, what, the heck? "What? What?" Well, first of all, I'm not quite sure what a zoom prime is, but moving right along. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I I would say shoot wide open. Yeah, and. Put the bride in every shot. Having done many hundreds of weddings, I can tell you that the photographs that are the most popular contain the bride. And we all know, those of us who have been married anyway, that weddings are all about the bride. So make sure that the bride is prominently featured. And try to photograph things in such a way that you document what happens rather than staging it. That's one tip I would give you. But, you know, mostly look for natural light. Try to put, you know, if it's indoors, you're going to be challenged with lighting. So try to make sure that you put light behind you. If there's a bright lamp, put it behind you so that it points at the subject. If there's light coming through a window, you stand on the window side. Don't put the bride in front of the window because then it'll be backlit but shoot wide open uh, the 5D does fairly well at ISO 800 you know I'd shoot at ISO 800 sometimes and uh, you might want to invest in a flash because this sounds like if it's going to be indoors situation where flash would be necessary and the Canon flash using the ETTL mode, does a great job. Just set it on aperture priority and forget about it. Set your camera on aperture priority, shoot wide open, put on ETTL, and I'm going to guarantee you you'll get great shots.
0: Now, would you suggest taking the flash and pointing it up or, uh, you, know,
2: you know... Yeah, if, if I was in a situation where I could bounce it, I would absolutely do that, or I would get a flash extension cord and hand, you know, hand hold the flash off the camera right. so you know, that I don't have any red eye.
1: The one thing that scares me, guys, because I remember, you know, being a young photographer and, you know, getting an an assignment and for the first time, you know, having this assignment, worrying about it, getting some new piece of equipment, because I think this is what's going to best work for this particular thing and just not knowing how to use it. So one piece of advice I would give, um, is is it uh, Joe, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Mr. Bustelin, yeah. uh, would be to, to, you know, not necessarily try untested things. Granted, this is seven days from when this question was asked. It's probably tomorrow the wedding. But I, I would just, you know, know do with what you, you know for sure. And, yeah, get a flash because if the light is really, really bad or if you're stuck indoors and it's not good. And, and don't get fancy with it, uh, you know, unless you really are comfortable using this stuff. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah, he's already-
2: he got a flash.
1: We don't know.
3: Yeah. He also—he only mentions two zoom. He says zoom primes. But he only mentions two zoom lenses. So he doesn't have a fast, fast lens in the kit. He really should grab one.
2: Yeah. I'd, well, I don't know. The seventy to two hundred could be a two eight. It could yeah, be. Six, I, I have to admit. I
0: would uh, if if I only had one lens for you know I and I have had this for events. I mean I you know me I I go with a fifty <laughs> I'm really fast. Well, that's the, you know, that's
2: the problem indoors. You're not going to be working too much at two hundred. You're going to be working more on the shorter end. So. Right. I mean, if he had a 51.4, 1.8 even, that would be a nice supplement. Uh, And certainly, if he has the the high-end Canon flash, you know, you can do quite a bit of good stuff with with that kit. I'd be more focused on technique. I'd be worried about making sure the bride looks natural, tell a few jokes, keep her loose, you know, make sure she's, in. like I say, in almost every shot. Just do the best you can. Yeah.
0: Good luck. Good luck. Another question here uh, from uh, Doug Norris. Uh, he, uh, he said uh, he's, he's doing some cold weather shooting. So he's got an upcoming winter season. Uh, taking pictures outside can be tough on the equipment. Uh, once you're out in the cold for a while, the temperature of the camera, tr- the camera will drop significantly. My question would be, what would you recommend to protect your camera from condensation buildup uh, after you bring the cold camera into the warm, humid environment? This happened to me with an old film camera of mine and shorted out the camera. One method I have I've heard of is to place the camera in a Ziploc bag while outside so that when you bring it inside condensation builds up on the bag instead of the camera. Uh, I did not know if there was an alternative or should I just carry around a lot of Ziploc bags. So uh, thanks and love the show Doug.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, living out in Edmonton for 10 years, that was an issue at times because it gets really, really cold. And that totally works, you know, to, to make sure it's an airtight Ziploc bag and the condensation will form outside the bag and not inside the bag. So it will keep your camera protected. Another thing we used to do, you know, covering, you know, uh, sports events. And if you had to go into the locker room later, um, the temperature, you know, I- you know, at a hockey, in a hockey arena, you go from a a cold sort of ice area to the warm locker room is you just get your cameras in there well before so that or have a second body in there so that you don't have to deal with the uh the, with the condensation that that starts to happen
0: great so uh so the ziploc bags are a big thumbs up last question for today uh it, it is uh this is from dave and this is directed to scott he said hi scott uh, i just finished uh, and uh, he said uh, after C- after uh, it's given that next week is Q&A, and that's this week, and he goes, I'm, etch- I'm etching towards a, 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 a Gitzo carbon fiber model uh, for a tribal tripod, uh, but I need to ensure that it's small enough that when folded, t- I can carry it around easily. Uh, preferable in hand luggage uh, on short-haul flights, yet sturdy enough to support le- the likes of a 300-millimeter lens on a DSLR body. Uh, my real problem is that I can't find uh, anywhere local, Dublin, Ireland, uh that that stocks get uh get so make so making it difficult based on online reviews so he said i i already have a ha- a tripod that i'm happy with so he's really looking for something uh to um to buy uh, and i i guess he's looking at the GH3780 QR ball head um that's what he wants to put on top of it so scott what what's your uh input on that
2: i have to say that um you know the so is the way to go because it's carbon fiber yep and the, the problem is going to be packing it in hand luggage. I don't know of any Gitsos that are small enough to do that um, consistently, depending on regulations. And I also know some airlines won't let you bring a tripod at all anymore. So I don't know that that part of the, the question uh, you know, will be relevant. But, I, I mean, he seems to want the best of both worlds. He wants to be able to support a big 300-millimeter lens, but he wants a small tripod. And I'm sorry. Those two things just don't go together right. so you know you need a sturdy tripod and sometimes that means carrying around something that's big and uh putting it in your hard side luggage and checking it that's what i do my my tripod goes in my hard side luggage and i check it because there's no way i could get on the plane and there's no way it would, i could use a lightweight one and support everything i need to
0: yeah yeah i i have to admit i just walked on with my uh i was kind of surprised i i uh Uh, when I was actually going to scout for uh, Eric Howell's movie in in Minneapolis, I needed a tripod and I couldn't quite fit it in anything, so I just kind of walked through the airport, throwing it through the um, you know, just, just setting it down on its own and uh, I was expecting some hard talking to and didn't get any. No one really paid much <laughs> attention. You know, I was kind of – I get more. You know, I have this imbira that I'm learning how to play, and uh, I get – that has become a real problem. If I, if yeah, I carrying around
2: an imbira is definitely going to get you a second look. Get
0: these guys. They're just staring at it. It's a stop every single time now if it's in my carry-on. They're looking at you, it like – You know so what you what really what should that? do
2: is you should also wear a turban. <laughs> And then you just really will make sure that they pay attention to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I will say I have uh, – this
0: is not good enough for what he's looking for. The travel tripod that I use is actually the, um, the Manfrotto 190. Um, and the reason specifically that I use it is it's the most solid tripod that I found that I can fit into my carry-on.
2: So it's yeah, but that's not going to support a three hundred millimeter no, it's lens. Not, it's not.
0: Yeah. I'm just saying that as, as another. Uh, this is not going to fulfill his need, but I think as people are looking for one, uh, that one's small enough to kind of you can get it in there. You pull the top off, and you can actually set it in your in a in a in, a, in a Heathrow approved carry on, which is generally my my rule of thumb.
2: That's uh, your that pockets. That your means pockets. it's like six inches long,
0: right? It's, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: GitSo does make this brand. I think it's new. This little traveler tripod that's tiny and extremely oh, really? light and extremely expensive, but again, a <laughs> three hundred millimeter lens. I mean, you know, I don't think it's gonna yeah. going yeah, do it's everything. Not, it's just not. It's not gonna happen.
0: Yeah, and that's the I mean, the thing you really have to. And it's hard because you you want it. Like I, uh, you know, I got a, I, a larger. I got a small ball head, thinking that was gonna be enough, and I put my big QuickTime VR rig on it, and then found all of my all my my panos were bending to the side, you know, and, and you really do have to pay attention to the, the amount of weight, uh, that that can be handled there. So, uh, before we go any further, uh, we want to, of course, uh, thank, uh, thank Drobo. Drobo is our, uh, is our friend. Uh, we, uh, we like Drobo. Now, I think, I think we're all drobotized, right? We're all feeling droopy.
1: Very, very, very close. <laughs> very, very, very close. <laughs> I haven't quite, I've been traveling. Are the drives in there
0: too. yet, Steve? Steve,
1: not yet, not Wait yet. A minute, let's break be. this down.
2: Do you own the drives
1: yet? Not quite yet, but it's going it's to happen <laughs> almost, soon. The he almost owns
2: them. He almost owns the
1: them. The how, do qu- get, how do you not quite yet own a drive? Well, I'm, I'm psychologically like ready to, to <laughs> purchase. I just have to, you know, let my bank account catch up with my, you know, psychological preparedness. And uh, <laughs>
3: okay, I'm, I'm going to do it I, soon. I saw a one terabyte go by for eighty eight dollars now.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh, Ron, really? Where where did you see that?
3: Uh, you know, you just got to check the internets.
0: You're in the, the internet. You, you, I think you had to check all the internets to find it.
3: Whoa! No, there's some RSS feed I subscribed to that just you know
1: eighty eight deals. Yikes! Yeah, that
3: in, that included you had to mail in a thirty dollar rebate to get that price though. So okay. still wasn't worth uh, it for me.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, definitely, you know, I was talking to, uh, you know, Kirsten Sanford, Dr. Kiki was in the, she's in the office a lot working here. And, uh, and she, uh, she was talking about, well, I just got to figure out how to back some stuff up. And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, you see all these drobos laying around here, don't you? (laughs) It's kind of like, that's, that's what you need to do there. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know what I, what I do without it. So.
2: Uh, We do, we do need to mention something. Last week, it kind of screwed up. Uh We, we used the wrong brand when we were talking about hard drives. We inadvertently said that the 1.5 terabyte Western digital drives had been disapproved by data robotics for use in the Drobo. Actually, that's the 1.5 terabyte Seagate drives. Ah, okay.
0: But the Western digitals are fine.
2: The Western digitals are fine. In fact, there is no such thing as a 1.5 Western digital. So that's how come we really knew we were wrong, <laughs> because they don't make one. There you go. So. Now, um, if, he, if, I, he,
0: if, if people uh, want to, uh, to get a Drobo, $25, not percentage, I think I said percent last, last week, $25 off uh, purchase uh, of a USB or second-generation FireWire uh, with FireWire and USB ports at uh, drobo.com slash so, twip. C
2: W I P. I also want to mention, those are FireWire 800 ports. Fast. So it's fast FireWire. That's why I'm able to use the new FireWire Drobo as my primary drive for my Aperture library. And I use the USB Drobo as my vault because I don't care how fast that is. That's just working in the background. But those many people don't recognize that that is an 800, FireWire 800 connection. So we're talking lickety-split.
0: Yes. So, uh, so definitely uh, check that out at drobo.com slash twip, T-W-I-P. Uh, one more question here. We're going to throw another question in, into the pipe here. Uh, this a sli- I thought this was interesting. A slide scanner advice. So this is I have a this is from Tom McNeil, and he said I have boxes upon boxes of 35 millimeter uh, Kodachrome slides that I need to copy. I was going to purchase a Nikon Super Cool Scan 5000 ED, but B&H said it wouldn't work. I called Nikon and they said it would work okay. Uh, what scanner would you recommend?
2: He didn't want to hear my answer.
0: I, I I think I know Ron's answer. What's what's your what's your answer, Ron?
3: Well, I you know I'm still real happy with this service called Scan Cafe where right. you don't even think about it. You just shove them all into a box and ship them off, and they do it and they do some retouching. And um, you know, uh, again, if if you have the all time prized photo or slide that you know you think is the best thing you've ever done, would I send it off to this? No, and, and it's a little scarier with. Slides because you have no back if you don't even have a, a print that you can sort of fall back on. But I sent a bunch of old slides that we found when I was uh, my mom was moving to a new place, and you know, for the convenience and the, the cost was good. I don't know. It, it it's a very personal decision about how much you're willing to let somebody else handle your slides.
0: One of the frustrating things that I have is that I don't think Nikon makes an, one with an auto feeder anymore. Uh we had the LS 2000. Uh we still have it here in the office somewhere, but it's got like a scuzzy connector now. And what was great about it is it had a 50 slide well, there, feeder. The, the
2: CoolScan 5000 has that. Oh, does it? Okay,
0: great. Yeah. Cuz that's yeah. that's like I can't even imagine. I I I, yeah. I can't imagine buying a slide scanner that I had to put one at a time in. Yeah. I would just
2: kill myself. I think I think you'd be all right with that, but you know, the best scanner that I've ever seen is the Imicon. Uh-huh. Mm. But now we're getting into the real plus, money. You yeah. know, plus I think dollars 15,000 range but you're going to get it's basically a drum scanner without the drum. Right.
1: Yeah. I think it probably calls for some, you know, tough editing as well. If he's got boxes of boxes of Kodachromes, I mean chances are he doesn't necessarily need to have every single one scanned. Maybe, you know. So right. why not just
3: Yeah, and that's what I would do. Is pick out the pick out the sweet spot. Pick out the ones you really want to do a careful job with and then for the rest of them go with the cheap scan or something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, definitely. So uh, one more question. This was a
0: good one because uh, like, I get asked this a lot. Uh, this is from Jack Label. Uh, this is at the end here, um, and it said uh, he said I'd like to ask you uh, if it's better to use center spot autofocusing or non center like focusing and recompositing. So if he wants to re- basically if he if he wants to re- uh, recomposite after focusing, should you use the different focus points or should you just, um, focus and then uh, basically hold the button down and, and re uh, reframe? How do you guys do it?
1: Well, I mean, I, I'm pretty. Uh, I think that you know a lot of these cameras allow you to sort of move that center point or the spot that you're going to focus on around the frame, and I'm I'm constantly moving it around. But more importantly, and I've brought it up on the show before, I like the idea of using the uh, the button on the back of the camera as opposed to the shutter release to actually control the focus because uh, by doing it that way, I'll leave my my uh, tracking on continuous tracking, and I'll just press the button to focus, I let go, recompose and shoot, or if something's moving or if I'm moving, I can hold the button down and it's going to track. So it gives me the best of both worlds without having to make any switches or move my eye from from the viewfinder.
0: Right. If, if the camera has that feature, which is, I think, one of the most higher of them features. do. Do they mm. have it now? Most of them have the tracking. I know I'm very old fashioned. I, I just uh, I, I keep my my focuses in the center all the time. And all I do is focus and then re reframe, um, yeah. you know, and I, and I get annoyed when anyone touches my camera and changes that because then I can't figure I, you know, I've changed it. The only time I ever change the focus is when someone's done it on my camera and then I have to figure out what button to turn it back because I haven't, you know, I never do it. So, how about how, Scott? Do you uh, do you use the the, the different pl- points?
2: Yeah, I just you know on the D three, you can move that rocker on the back around, and I just put the point where I want it and keep moving that point. I've gotten to be sort of a ninja at it, so I just kind of like imagine nunchucks but it's focus points
1: <laughs> yeah. and if you want the full the full value of that pressing that back button if you've got it um, make sure you disengage the shutter to focus you know so that you're just using that back and after a little while you re- it really becomes for me it harkens back to kind of I feel like I'm manually, manually focusing almost because I'm really kind of you know pinpointing what it is that I want to to have as my main focus in, in the frame and I'm always recomposing so it I like I, that I really
2: method like for it. I like that method for static subjects, but for me I'm I'm photographing birds that are flying by at fifty miles an hour and I don't I don't have time. I gotta go.
1: Gotcha, yeah, that uh, depends what you're that doing,
2: e- of course. That extra half tenth of a nanosecond of pushing the button in the back and then pressing down the shutter slows mm. me down too much when I'm moving when I'm with a moving object. But I do like that method for more thoughtful photography when I'm doing landscapes, scenics you know stuff
1: like that. Yeah, even even for street photography people, I mean maybe not you know race cars or birds, but but certainly for just general stuff, it it really works. Yeah, people should give it a try and see if they like it.
0: Definitely. Coming up uh, between the weeks, uh, Scott's going to have a review of the D90 on twipphoto.com uh and also just to uh jump back to this if you have a question this is our this was our big Q and A, but we answer questions of course every episode go up to com, and you can submit your questions there and you can see scott's review of the d90 uh and his as well as his thoughts on using the d3 for several months so scott you're gonna have that up uh, a certain day next week or just sometime. towards the week? end of the week towards the end uh, of the week
2: yeah. And by the way, I don't know that I'd call this our big Q&A episode. I'd call this our big red episode with some Q&A thrown in. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was that. There was that. But we do, you know, we do reserve the right to make last minute adjustments to market <laughs> conditions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a tip for the week came in from a listener. And, and by the way, we just love getting these tips uh, uh, of the week from the listeners. So if you've got a tip of the week, make sure to go to twipphoto.com. Uh, this is one's from Rudker Smith. And uh, he said that uh, he's got a small photography tip for listeners. He said, when shooting in a very humid area and you're afraid of damaging your gear, collect the little uh, sachets of silica gel that come with a lot of things you buy uh, and then use them. So this is, uh, you know, um, it's a good idea. You know, just keeping stuff uh, when you when you store your stuff, you can use these little silica gels. They're, they're they're oftentimes not pushed very hard when you buy stuff. I think we get like forty of them every time we buy something from BSW <laughs> or or Sweetwater or something like that. They come with, and and the thing is, you have to kind of be careful because the two things that come with a BSW or a Sweetwater uh, order is silica silica gel and candy,
2: candy, and, uh, <laughs> candy. I don't know why. You know, where that, you know where that candy at BSW comes from, don't you? Where? Right here in Tacoma, Washington. Really. That's that's that stuff comes from Tacoma, Washington. It's made locally.
0: Yeah, I'm, it's always like a it's it's uh, it's always hit and miss. You know, sometimes it's you know with BSW, it's all the same. It's all good with Sweetwater. Then you you always have the situation where you know sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's not so good. I mean, yeah. it's, it's BS- good when you get the Tootsie Rolls. Yeah, well,
2: the BSW you, you get the toffee. Right, and toffee is good, and you just have to make sure that you, you all. the toffee. De Broca is the brand made right here in Tacoma, Washington. And the,
0: and the key is to eat the, eat the toffee and not the
2: gel. That's correct. <laughs> the gel
0: is not good for you.
2: No. Do not eat. Or what you could do is you could find a very humid room. You could surround yourself with silica gel and eat candy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yum yum. Hey, also uh, j- this is a, 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 a an avid listener uh, and a, and a friend of the show uh, has a um, has a Ken Bell. Uh, his latest episode is called uh, Of the Dog Files. This is all about dogs. Uh, but this one happens to be a topic. Uh, the topic this week, and the only reason why I mention it this week is because uh, it, it came out this week, is uh, photography of your dog. So if you want to uh, see some tips uh, on Ken, uh, Ken, some of Ken's tips on taking pictures of dogs, go to thedogfiles.com. Scott, where can people find you?
2: Uh, on the Twitter, of course, it's Scott born and I'm hanging out over at the Aperture Photography Nature Workshop site a lot, which is just shorthand, you can get to that through f64.com, like f
1: like frank 64.com
0: Steve, where can
2: people find you?
1: Uh, Steve Simon Photo.com is the website and on the Twitter at Steve Simon slash Steve Simon. Ron, where can people find you?
3: Digitalcomposting.com or just Twitter Ron Brinkman.
0: And by the way, I just as, um, uh, I am now writing, a, I'm going to start writing some blogs on, uh, on pro video coalition. I know this is a photography show, but ProVideoCoalition.com. If you go up there, they'll find a channel. It's a pixel Alex Lindsay channel. I think I put up a little thing about the red and, uh, I'll probably post some more stuff every, every once or twice a week. Uh, just stuff we're working on. Um, there's mostly video stuff, but I just wanted to let people know. Uh, anyway, thanks guys. And, uh, until next week, you can put that lens cap right back on.